Well, good morning. Man, how's everybody doing today? Good, wonderful. Well, it's been uh, been a busy week for many of you, um, and the um, old houses are with us today, Molly and Dan. So uh, glad you're here, and uh, glad we got to celebrate Henry's life yesterday. So I want to thank you as well if you were here to help and uh, be a part of that. Thank you for that. Um, and so uh, today uh, we're going to be in our back in our series, our Why series. And if you're joining us online, my name's Michael, I'm the pastor here, and uh, we're excited if you're here online or in person. Um, if you're a visitor, just as a reminder, uh, make sure you've got one of the little visitor cards. If you didn't get one of those, we can get one of those to you. Uh, and so we're in our series, Why? Um, in life, we ask uh, a lot of questions. Um, why does, or why do bad things happen? Um, why did this good thing happen to me? Um, and everything in between. If you've been around little kids... Um, which I have a few, uh, then uh, you know the why questions, they never seem to end. Uh, and so we, we kind of get well-versed in being able to answer why and whatever else you might add after that. And so that's kind of where this series was birthed. Um, my wife and I, um, Christy, had a miscarriage back in the fall. And uh, whenever those things kind of happen, you really do ask why. And you say, now, why did this happen? And um, as you seek God in that, sometimes we don't always find the answers that we want, but the ones that God has provided to us. And he gives us peace into the midst of that. And so today we're going to be asking this question, why Satan? Uh, and so we have a colorful serpent up there to help illustrate things. Uh, as we see Satan throughout the Bible, one of the primary and first examples we see in the book of Genesis is the serpent. So that's why I, that's up there like that. But today I want to look at a couple other texts. We'll be in Ezekiel. Um, so you can go ahead and turn there um, as we kind of work in that direction. And as we think about who Satan is, um, sometimes we don't like to talk about that. Now, we don't like to talk about the spiritual realm. We don't like to talk about demons. But it's important to know what's going on around us, even if we can't see it, and especially with what Satan is doing. Uh, and so we'll be in Ezekiel. <clears throat> we'll be in chapter 28, and so you can turn there. Uh, a lot of times we ask questions, too, about, uh, well, who is really our adversary? Um, sometimes we, you know, we, well, we know Satan's there. Yes, we, we have some idea of why he exists. And today I just want to deep dive into that and try to help us understand that a little bit better. But we also get this idea of kind of like an arch enemy. Um, anybody ever heard of an arch enemy, or maybe you think you have one? Uh, if you look at comic book characters, the, those guys are synonymous. The hero always has an arch enemy. Um, so, just as a few examples, if I were to ask you who was Batman's archenemy, who would you say? Joker, okay, yeah, yeah, so that's pretty, you know, he's got a lot of guys that he fought, but uh, Joker was probably his worst archenemy. Uh, what about Superman? Anybody? Comic book readers? <clears throat> yeah, Lex Luthor, so he had a lot of guys that he came up against too, but Lex Luthor was his archenemy. Uh, what about Sherlock Holmes? This is a hard one. Ooh, Aubrey, good job. Okay, so uh, yeah, so the side of room's got it, arch enemies, right? Well, we may think in life, just like super, you know, super comic book characters, that uh, you know, we have an arch enemy. But the truth is that we have one adversary and one individual that we really need to know better than the rest. And so with that today, I want to kind of just push into this idea that um, <clears throat> Satan does matter, and, and he's in the world, and he's walking to and fro. We'll talk about that in the book of Job, and, and just try to help us understand how we approach that. Many of us think, and maybe some of you listening online too, that, oh, Satan's not a big deal, and you know, does hell really matter? Is it even real? Well, we know that it does, and the great work that you know, the Gideons, and Gary, thank you for sharing, by the way, uh, about that, that um, people tend to... Uh, push that away or out of their minds or go, it must not be real. And then when difficult situations happen, oh, 
I should probably think about that. That matters, right? And so the work they're doing with the Bibles is great because it gets the truth into people's hands, and we can combat that. And so I was thinking this week, too, about what was going on. I was thinking about the study and, and just everything we had going on this week, and too, with uh, celebrating Henry's life. Um, something kept cu- popping across my news feed, and um, it was this, uh, this story about the Oscars. I'm sure you may have... Uh, <laughs> I may have seen something about that, uh, where Chris Rock made a joke, and Will Smith got upset because it was about his wife, and he struck Chris Rock, which is not a good thing, right? Not condoning either side of that. And so uh, after that event took place, and if you know, um, Andy's mentioned it before, but Denzel Washington gave a little word to uh, uh, Will Smith, and the thing that he said to him was, remember, Will, at your highest moment, be careful, that's when the devil comes for you. And so now and we can take truth from different areas of society. I just thought that was interesting that in that moment, uh, an individual who claims to be a Christian uh, gave a word of advice about the enemy. Now, even in pop culture, people don't like to think about the devil or Satan or hell, right? That's not a, something we like to keep in our vocabulary, but it was brought to the forefront this week, and I just thought that was interesting. So as we think about that and Satan's existence, uh, let's go ahead and jump into it. So that's the first fill in the blanks. If you've got your bulletin. Um, we've got a lot of words to go through today, so hope you have your Bible there as well. Ezekiel chapter 28, uh, we'll start in verse 12 and go through verse 18, um, <clears throat> and really just kind of go through this idea that, that Satan's a real individual in the spiritual realm, and we have to work through understanding how to uh, approach this, okay? Uh, and so um, just to give a little background to the book of Ezekiel, um, so Ezekiel was a prophet, he was a guy that operated mostly during a time of captivity, for God's people. Uh, and uh, his story is pretty tragic. He actually, most scholars will say that he uh, had a wife at a young age and she passed away uh, before they went into captivity. And so Ezekiel is this guy by himself. He's lost his spouse and God comes to him and he's, he's made him one of his prophets to speak to the people. And so he's got some pretty important words. So if you look throughout the book of Ezekiel, there's a lot of warning for future destruction for God's people. So, hey, let's turn from our ways. Let's stop doing this. That's pretty much what prophets would do. And then he's got this interesting text about the king of Tyre. And so um, I want to go through it and just kind of help us understand that there's some texts that are in the prophetic text that uh, help us understand who the enemy is, who the adversary is, who Satan is. Uh, And so um, we'll go ahead and jump into it and take a look here. Starting in verse 11. Yeah, we'll start in verse 11, actually. Uh, And it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in unity. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, and sapphire. Emerald and carbuncle, and crafted in gold, were your settings and your engravings on the day that you were created. They were prepared. And so Ezekiel, he's painting this picture, and it's about a wicked king, but it also has this double meaning about Satan, about our adversary. He's, as we walk through this text in Ezekiel, we'll see kind of um, Satan start, who he was, like before. Uh, most of them know him as this individual who was in heaven with God, uh, more than likely an angel. And so Ezekiel will talk about that as well, how he fell from heaven, and ultimately where he's going to find himself in destruction, okay? Um, so that's the, just the first verse there. We see where he is, and, and likely if you were to you know, see Satan before, before he fell from glory, you would have gone like, man, this is a, this is a really you know, like beautiful angelic figure. Um, but he fell pretty far, didn't he? And so here in verse 14, it says, You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. 
you were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, our guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. And so now there's a number of different interpretations from this text, but really what we want to gather from this is that Satan was this angelic figure. So he was in the presence of God, and can you imagine rebelling against God and throwing all that away, being in God's presence and saying, I think I know better, I, I love myself more than I love God. In a lot of the same ways, we go wrong in the way that Satan did. And so I want to look at just a couple of the words here. Um, the cherub here, the cherub in the Hebrew, um, <clears throat> points to Satan as being this angelic figure. Now some people debate, was he an archangel, was he this, was he that? And well here it talks about him being a cherub, so an angel that had uh, high authority, certainly over other angels, but maybe not the highest, okay? So we see Satan as this individual who's operating, who's serving God, who's carrying out tasks for him. Uh, But in the end, we'll see that he finds out loving himself uh, more than serving God. And what did Satan do? Well, it says here um, that he sinned, or katal in the Hebrew. So um, it's the same idea, like in the Old Testament, going into the New Testament, of of missing the mark. Um, So what do we do when we fall short of God's glory, when we sin? We miss the mark, don't we? It's kind of like aiming at a target. And so Satan had this purpose in serving God, and he said, you know what? I'm going to throw that all away. And what was God's response? We see this here in this word for profane, kalal in the Hebrew, uh, meaning a polluted thing. So as you know, um, evil can't be in the presence of God. God has conversations at time. We'll see that in the book of Job, but he says, "You, you can't be here because you've lost your purpose. You've lost your meaning. And life, and here we see the ending too. So I like this text because it paints this picture of an evil king, but also of Satan because he's in this place of position and, and power and authority, and he's, he's serving God, and then he starts to make some errors, right? So he misses the mark like we do, and what happens? Well, in verse 17, it says, Your heart was proud because of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It it consumes you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be forevermore. So can you imagine Ezekiel in his position? He's already... He's in a difficult place. He's trying to help the people of God, and he gets this prophetic word about a wicked king and Satan himself. And he gives it to us to read all these years later, but he's talking about not only Satan's position formerly and and where he was and what happened when he fell from grace and then his ultimate destruction, which is going to take place. Um, So this kind of sets the stage for us um, on understanding who um, Jesus is and who Satan is. And we look through a couple of other places in the text, like we talked about at the very beginning. Uh, In Genesis, what is Satan represented as? A snake or serpent. And uh, so we see him take a couple of different forms, and then we see here in Isaiah fourteen twelve that um, it's pretty clear what's happened, what has happened for Satan. It says here in verse 12 of Isaiah 14, how are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground who laid the nations low? 
Uh, and so with that, we'll jump into our second point, uh, because this is a prophetic text. And so I want to jump into an actual interaction between Satan and God, which is one of the most um, interesting texts um, in all the Bible, if you've read this. Uh, it's found in Job, so you can flip over to Job, um, Job chapter 1. <clears throat> we'll be looking at verses 6 through 7, and um, Job as a text is actually probably the, the oldest text that we have in our canon of Scripture. Uh, and so although Moses wrote the Torah, and that was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, Job, chronologically, would actually fall before this. And so there's this interaction. I mean, it's about Job, but it's between Satan and God and a number of other figures that aren't really highlighted here, but they're certainly present. Uh, And Job, you got to love Job. He's a guy who, uh, he was a family man, right? He cared about his family. Um, If you read the text, the first couple of verses uh, leading up to verse 6, um, he is <clears throat> praying for, he's offering sacrifices for his family. He's, he's going before God and, and he's saying, hey, when they get together and they have a good time, my kids, God, if there's even the chance they've done anything wrong, I'm, I'm giving this offering to make things right. Now, how could you not like Job? I mean, he was before the Lord for his family. He was making things right for things he wasn't even sure. Like if anything happened that didn't honor you, God, let me give you this offering. So, uh, and that sets the stage for this. So in that setting, here in verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And so I want to go through this, but just kind of highlight the, the interaction that takes place and, um, and talk about verse 6 here for a moment. Um, so there's a lot of debate, debate that kind of surrounds who are these people, like what are they, what's going on here, the sons of God. Um, and there's a number of different interpretations that people take. Um, but if you look here, the focus is always towards Satan and his interaction. Did he gather together with other angelic figures, other um, beings that were cast out of heaven um, along with Satan? So those angels that were serving him uh, now operate in, as demons, as demonic forces in the earth. Uh, and so there's a number of them that come before the Lord. So there's this clear authority structure. So they have to come before God and they have to give an account for what's going on. And then we get to verse 7. It says again, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? You know, I always love that because God, when God asks a question, he already knows the answer, right? Uh, it's kind of like when, when uh, God, he, he comes to the garden, although he's already there um, with Adam and Eve after they've taken the tree. Uh, and he, you know, he says, hey, uh, where, where are you guys, right? Uh, God gives us an opportunity to respond in obedience and truth and clarity. Uh, and many times we see here, God does the same thing. He's like, I already know where you are, just, you know, for our benefit, right? For us reading after the fact, God gives us an opportunity to understand what's going on. So where was Satan? Well, he was going to and fro. We've heard that before uh, many times, walking up and down on the earth. But what we have to understand from the context of Ezekiel and from Job here is that Satan had been around for a while, right? And so he he was present when there are other things going on in, in mankind. And more than likely, uh, Satan fell before you know all the events that took place for us. Okay, so we got to understand kind of that timeline of what's going on, and he's come before. God here. And I really believe as we read this text, which is, of course, a very interesting one, uh, we're going to see here uh, God's authority and how he allows Satan to operate and how he's got total authority over the situation. But he allows Satan to do certain things at certain times. Number one, to bring glory back to himself, to bring glory back to God, and then to help us understand that we really do need to rely on God. And that there are real forces, there's real darkness and things that are going on in the world that we need to be aware of. And so here in verse 8 of Job, chapter 1, it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, 
a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan said to the Lord, uh, Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? I always like to think about, like, when Satan's talking, I always think of, like, this really, like, nasty, like, slimy guy. Like, how would he, how would he talk? So when he responds here is, does Job fear God for no reason, right? Uh, have you not put a hedge around him in his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will curse you to your face. Man, you imagine talking to the God of the universe like that? Clearly Satan didn't get it at this point, right? So he's still rebelling. He's still operating in this opposition. He goes, he's going, God, I think I still know better than you. I bet I know what will happen. You've put all this protection around him. So what takes place? Well, Satan comes to him and he, 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 he's like, hey, hey, God, I know better. We can, you know, uh, let, me, let me go after this guy and I promise you, when you remove that. Now, here's the difficult part is Satan operates. He, he's always attacking, I think, a lot of our um, understanding of Christianity and certainly um, kind of this like casual Christianity that I feel like the world, um, many people would say, hey, I'm a Christian. Um, but then when the going gets tough, right? I think Satan, he, he's, he's hitting something important here. I think God wants us to read because um, God, throughout the book of Job, I mean, you see him operating and reassuring and encouraging Job and, and Job standing, you know, firm which we'll read about in First Peter, in the midst of this difficulty that's being allowed to take place, this testing that's going on, which is really a big theme of the book of Job. And so Job's going to stand firm. But what does Satan say to God? I don't even like reading the words. I'm like, how can you talk to God like that? But of course, this is Satan. He says, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Well, Satan's pretty convinced. So he continues, and here's what the Lord says. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has in your hand only against him, do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So <laughs> Satan's got this um, challenge, right? And God says, challenge accepted. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to see who wins in the long run here. But, but why does God allow this to take place? And many times I think we struggle with this. We go like, God, like, why? You know, why couldn't you just say, go away, Satan? <laughs> stop, stop messing with people. Um, but here in this text, God, he's trying to highlight something for us, that in the midst of the testing and the difficulty and how he allows Satan to operate in this world, he's going, he's not going to extend beyond what I'm allowing him to, right? And he provides us this way um, to, to walk out of these situations, and especially for Job, knowing that God is still for him, like whatever takes place. And you can go back and read the full account of Job. That'd be a good place to go, especially in the midst of difficulty. But Satan, why is he allowed to exist too? And I, I, thought, I thought about that, like why does even you know, Satan exist? And every instance you see throughout the text is God displaying his glory. Like Satan, you know, he, he shows up here and he's like, okay, I'll let you do that. And let's see what happens. Let's test him and see where he goes from there. And what does Satan do? Throughout the whole interaction, he's going to keep bringing glory and honor to God. Now, as we read throughout this really painful account, too, by the way, if you've read Job, like, it's not a fun book, right? Um, it's a book that if you, like, you first start reading, you're going like, oh, he lost his family. Oh, he lost his stuff. Like, hey, he's got nothing. Now he's really sick. And like, what's going on? But in the midst of all of this, it's a test for Job, too, but it's God displaying his glory. And I know m- many of us would say, well, I don't really want to help with that part of displaying God's glory, Right? But as we go through similar circumstances, God's going to use these situations uh, to help point towards him. So why does he exist? Well, 
to bring glory to God. And that may sound like really strange. Like, why didn't God just say, get, get out of here, you're destroyed forever? Because he's got this purpose of bringing glory to God. And Satan thinks he's, he's continuing to try to thwart things, right? He's trying to destroy things. But I think the bigger question for us is as we read some of these just few texts about who Satan is and why he exists and what his purpose is, we can move into this place of understanding. How do we, how do we respond to the difficulty? How do we respond to his existence? Because some people would say who maybe um, will despair you know, and over-exaggerate you know, Satan's purposeness and his existence in the world and go, right, we just can't do it. Like We're not going to win. Like, I feel like some people think like in the struggle of good and evil, um, as you watch like movies, you know, there's always like a good character, a bad character, and you know, you're, going, like, you're always hoping like, the good guy's going to win, right? I don't know. Like, um, you know. March Madness is going on too. Right? So you've, maybe some of you've been watching that, um, and there's always like that, you know, the 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 good character, the evil one, the one who's been like winning all the time. Like we want that guy to lose and the underdog to win. Well, that's not exactly how God's economy works, right? We know God has ultimate authority. He was uh, he's been around forever. He created everything that existed, and that includes Satan, and he allows him to exist for a time, even during this season for us, and to operate with limited power, so that he might continue to display his glory. And so Satan keeps going, I'm going to mess things up. I'm going to mess things up. And people are going, I don't know who's going to win. Is Satan going to win? Is God going to win? Well, here's the good news. We have the end of the story, right? God wins. And so as we read these accounts, we, go, we don't go like, oh no, Job, like, what's going to happen? Like, oh no. Well, if you continue to read throughout Job's story, um, he, God grants him back everything that he had before. Um, he gives him really a new family. And I think we kind of, we glance over that part and we go, oh, well, great. Now, there was real struggle in, in that time, wasn't there? Like, Joe, God didn't give Joe back the kids that he had before, so there was still real grief and, like, real pain. And, and God didn't discount that, but he goes, if you trust me through the midst of the difficulty, I promise I'll see you through it. And while Satan's going, ha-ha, you know, I'm going to mess this up, I'm going to get him, right? And God says, no, that's not how it's going to end, right? And we know he wins. And so we've got this confidence. As we read these texts, we can go to 1 Peter. So we'll jump through into the New Testament. And we'll jump into 1 Peter chapter 5. And we'll really see our response to all of this. Uh, because I think sometimes we, we read these accounts and we get scared. And we're like, I don't want to think about it. I want to think about what, what Satan is doing or what he's done. Now we, because we have to remember that God wins no matter what, right? And although we, like Job, will experience the difficulty throughout life, we have to ask this question, why does Satan exist? Why didn't God just do away with him? that he might display God's glory throughout the whole world, throughout all time, until we come to the end. And God says, I'm making everything right. I'm doing away with sin and death and evil and Satan. And so here's where our confidence comes from, because we do this together as well. Sometimes we think we're these islands as well. We read these accounts, and we're going, like, Job was doing it all by himself. Like, his friends even discredited him, said, what did you do? Well, let's see where we can have hope and confidence. And who better to share that with us than <clears throat> Peter, who was a disciple and apostle. Um, he was a guy that if you looked at his account um, at first, you would have gone, I don't know, that's the guy that we want, want to uh, you know, lead the charge, right? Lead the church. You know, he goes, he, he's going, and we actually just read about this in the quiet time, as Jesus is going to the cross, he's getting you know, questioned, um, what happens? Peter's there, and the little girl's like, hey, uh, <laughs> You're with Jesus, aren't you? No, I, I, I don't know him. I don't, I don't know him. But what happens in Peter's life? We got to see this as we read through the quiet time. Jesus comes back from the dead, right? It's good news for us. So he conquers sin and death. And then <clears throat> he comes before the disciples and he gives them power 
through the Holy Spirit. And what happens to these guys? Like their lives are changed forever. And Peter writes this account to encourage believers who are struggling in the Roman Empire, in the Christian faith, who are being persecuted heavily. Peter writes this during a time in right around 64 AD uh, where there was a really wicked emperor. You may remember him. His name's Nero. He actually wasn't around for very long. He had a lot of bad lifestyle choices, which is ultimately what ended his life um, and suicide himself. But during his life reigning, he, he kind of made it his goal to just torture Christians. Um, and like we think that we experience persecution as well, but we have no idea what that really looks like. And so Peter's writing to this group of Christians, and he wants to give them hope. He wants to um, help them understand how can you stand firm in the midst of the reality that there's a world of people who act wickedly, right? I mean, we see that going on in, in places like U- Ukraine. It's like people being attacked and victimized, and that shouldn't be the case. And so we, we struggle with that, right? And so Satan's involvement in that and just the wickedness of man, like our own hearts, people who don't know God uh, are capable of anything, right? And so we go to Peter and we, we need some help, right? So in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the persecution, Peter's going to give some hope to the church. When things are really bad, what do we do when we have to deal with this reality of evil in the world? Uh, we go to First Peter. It says here in verse 8 of First Peter chapter 5, We have to acknowledge this reality of the situation. It says, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You might think, well, that's not good news. (laughs) We read through Ezekiel, we're like, this is a bad dude. I mean, like, he got cast out of heaven. He thought, like, because of his beauty and his splendor, like, God was like, you're no longer about me which means I'm going to cast you out. You're like a polluted thing. I need, I need you out of here, right? And so he, but yet he allows Satan to operate in some power um, in, the, in the world that we live in. And when confronted with the account of Job, what happens? Well, God still, he gets all the glory, right? Um, he, he gives Job the strength even in the midst of the difficult situation. So what are we supposed to do? Be sober-minded and be watchful. So does it say just like pretend like he doesn't exist? I've even heard in recent times like people will say, hell's not real, like, that's scary. Like, don't talk to people about that, especially don't talk to your kids. When What happens when we do that? We water down the truth and the gospel. And what does the gospel even mean if there's not an alternative to where someone would spend eternity separated from God? So the gospel's good news because we can be separated because of our sin and the death that enters because of that. So we've got to be sober-minded. We've got to be watchful. Because what does Satan do? He's rolling around like this lion, right? Now, don't tell your kids this before they go to bed, by the way. This is not like, <laughs> you probably won't see this in like the Bible stories before, you know, uh, before you put your kid to bed. Like, let's read First Peter chapter 5. Satan's this roaring lion. He's, he's looking for who he can devour, <laughs> right? You know, we, we, we don't do that, but we also make sure that we're telling them the truth, right? Maybe just in a different way or a different time, but we've got to be watchful. Like, what, do, what does a hungry lion do? He's going to devour something, right? Now, we see them in the zoo, and, like, they're so playful, and they're docile, and, like, they get fed every day, and they're just, you know, they're lounging, you know? And we're like, this is a cute lion. Lions are not cute if they're hungry, and they're not behind, like, six inches of glass, right? Um, so, and, and at this time, too, Peter, he references this for a reason, because in the Roman Empire, what happened to Christians during this time? Yeah, they, they got put in the Colosseum, they got fed to lions, they got lit on fire. Like, there was a lot of really bad stuff that was going on for Christians, and Peter's going, you know who Satan's like? He's like this roaring lion. He's looking around for who he can devour, and they would have gotten that more than anybody else. Like, we're like, we go to the zoo, we're like, lions are okay. 
Peter was writing about lions, and they were like, oh, that's serious, right? So Satan's a serious dude. So what do we need to be, do, be doing? Be sober-minded and be watchful, right? Because the, the, this lion's not looking, out, looking to maim somebody, right? He's looking to devour somebody, okay? So we've got to be aware of what our response is. We've got to be watchful. Now, that also involves us um, coming alongside other believers, other Christians, because we, we don't just do this alone. Peter's talking to this like, broad, <laughs> broad group of Christians who, who need help. Like They need support. We're like, somebody could break down our door and take us to the Colosseum tomorrow. Like That was the reality of the situation. So Peter's going just like that. Satan's like this lion. He's looking for who he can devour. We need to be sober-minded. We need to be watchful. <clears throat> we need to be leading people in the truth. Our families, like Andy and I were just talking about this yesterday. So we were um, helping out doing some things for the memorial yesterday and just talking about the importance of like, how do we you know, lead our families? Like, how do we um, teach you know, truth? Um, how do we lead them rightly? Certainly with our own lives, right? And we, you know, we're, we're the first to say like, we fall short all the time, like sometimes every day, but that's not what disqualifies us. And God says, get it back up. You need to encourage, you need to build up the church and your family because you need to be sober-minded. You need to be watchful for the enemy, right, our adversary. Um, John 10.10 clarifies this for us a little bit more. Jesus is talking about this um, uh, the situation where he's the good shepherd, right? He cares for us. He's building us up. He's loving us. And, um, but then there's this other person who comes into the fold. Who is it? Well, it's the thief. He's talking about Satan. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, so what's Satan doing? Well, the opposite of what Jesus is doing. He goes, I'm the good shepherd. I'm taking care of the sheep. And then there's this thief that comes in. He's trying to steal. He's trying to kill. He's trying to destroy. So he wants us to be watchful, right? Now, there was a lot of other philosophies and things that were going on. It wasn't just the people going like, maybe if we just say Jesus isn't God, like we won't get killed. I mean, that's what was happening. Like, they were getting taken before and like the Colosseum and they were going, hey, just say that Jesus isn't the son of God and he didn't raise from the dead. And then we'll just consider this whole thing a misunderstanding. And what were people doing? Like, we can't, like, because we literally saw him after he got, he got raised from the dead, or, or we talked to somebody else that did, and like, he, he was dead, and then he wasn't, so therefore, makes him a son of God, right? So people were struggling with this, but, but what, do, what do evil people do? What are people who do who, who are consumed by sin? Well, they do wicked things, and their minds are destroyed, right? So um, what's our job? Well, one of them is to build each other up, lift each other up. Like, we're a part of that uh, sheepfold. Be looking for the wolves, those who would come in and, and deceive. Now, if you've ever wondered, too, like, what do the depths of depravity look like for even human beings who are um, just entrenched in wickedness, who don't know Jesus? Well, um, I started looking at some things. Um, it's not fun, but it kind of helps us understand the right perspective. Um, you might talk to somebody who was maybe a serial killer who's in jail for their life or they're on death row, um, and you might find some interesting things out about them and their perspective. Um, one in particular, Charles Manson, uh, said this. <clears throat> he said, believe me, if I started murdering, there would be none of you left. Now, how messed up do you have to be for that to be the case? Well, in the same way, what do people who have completely given themselves over to wickedness, to evil to the, uh, of their own hearts, right? Which every single one of us are capable of, just like Satan who was in the presence of God and said, I'm better. I want to be my own God. I'm tired of this. God says, there's the door. and gives him the boot, right? And so what does mankind show us? Well, this evil is perfectly possible and capable within the world that we live in. And that's another evidence for Satan's work and what he's doing. 
So what are we supposed to do? Well, we've got some marching orders already, but Peter's going to give us a few more here just in this short account that we're talking about today. Uh, in verse number, <clears throat> verse number nine, verse number nine, says resist. Well, how do we do that? Well, it says resist him firm in your faith, knowing <clears throat> that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What kind of what kind of sufferings was Peter talking about? What kind of experiences? Kinds of suffering are being experienced all around the world, and the known world at that time, like was the Roman Empire. <clears throat> what was Nero doing? Carrying off people to Colosseum. You're going to jail. You're going to go over here. I don't like you very much. Let's have you, you, know, you go over there. Um, that's what was going on. So he says, in the same way, because I think, I think at times too, we think that our own struggle, like as the enemy whispers in our ear and he attacks us, we either pretend like it doesn't exist, oh, that's not happening, or no, that's not going on, or you know what, like I'm really struggling, but nobody else would understand what I'm going through. And we just like keep it inside. We keep it bottled up. We don't ever talk to anybody about it. And then it just, it boils over, right? Like a nervous breakdown or like, you know, some story comes out that we left our family or whatever it is. And the truth is here, Peter's going like, we don't do this alone, right? We can't just think that all the struggle, all the pain, I mean, all the anxiety and the things that we go through, uh, Peter's going, it's real, like he was talking about like this, this real physical persecution, but I feel like there's a lot of things now, especially like post-COVID, things that we're just struggling with. I mean, like the, the mental state of the world right now is pretty fractured, isn't it? Um, the, <clears throat> that you go to, and, and we have a lot of teachers in here, by the way, and praise God for you, uh, because I feel like you've kind of seen the brunt of it, like with kids coming back to school and being in that setting and now not wearing masks, and people are kind of freaked out by that <laughs> too, you know. It's like, no, we're not wearing masks. What do we do? Uh, and so there's all this anxiety, right? I and mean, there's this depression of the situation and things that we have to deal with, but nobody likes to talk about because it's uncomfortable, right? But the truth is that at times we all need help, right? And we've got to link arms, and Peter's going like, this is real. It's a real struggle. Not only the things that we go through in life, just the, the results of our own sinfulness and the, the fallenness of the world, which we talked about that several weeks ago. Why the fall? Like, why, why did that happen? Because man chose to sin. The sin of the world infected everything else. And so Peter's going, don't do it alone. Don't do it alone because there's this real battle going on. <clears throat> so what does he say? Resist. So what's that word in the Greek? What's this um, antisame? Um, it's this word, we actually use it a lot in English, like antithesis. Um, that's where we you know, get one of the words, what about antihistamine? Right? That's, a, that's another one of those words we, words we use in English uh, for anti-something, right? Uh, and so <clears throat> he says here, what do we need to do? We need to, we need to resist, right? We need to be a re- resisting the devil. And how do we do that together? Have you ever tried to do that by, on, by yourself, by the way? Doesn't work super well, does it? Right? Satan discourages you, and I don't know what we all struggle with in the room here, a variety of things because of the different faces and people that are in here, and so I know that. Uh, but what do we do? Well, we resist. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this, or this may date me, but uh, I like sci-fi too. So growing up, I was a child of the 90s, and uh, there was a show, Star Trek, Next Generation, Maybe you've seen it. And there's this force in uh, Star Trek. That I think they're probably pretty much the, the worst character you could come in contact with, the Borg. And there was one thing they would say <clears throat> whenever you came upon them. It was pretty much game over, by the way, when they showed up. They said, resistance is futile. Now, the good news is that that's not where we're at, right? Uh, so resistance is not futile for us because Peter says, resist, resist. So what do we need to do? We need to stand firm in our faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood 
throughout the world. So don't think that like we, you know, nobody else understands what's going on with me. I can't, I can't share that. They won't be able to help me. Well, here's what James 4, 7 says. Gives us a little bit better perspective about the devil as well. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, <clears throat> yourselves. It's a group of people. And James is talking to the church. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What's he going to do? He's going to flee. He's going to run away. So wait a minute. We have this powerful tool. It's called resistance, which is possible. We do that together. We make a choice to follow Jesus, but then we do this together as well as the church and the family. What else do we need to do? It says uh, stand firm, asterios in the Greek, the, to be immovable in our faith. How do we do that? Well, we're linking arms, right? We're walking into the difficulty of life and the, the situations that we operate in, and even the, <clears throat> the ways that Satan tries to tempt us and whisper in our ears. Maybe you're just having a bad day, and you need somebody to talk to. You need somebody to reach out to. You know, I'm always here. But there's a family of faith here in this place that uh, maybe you're like, and I know I can always go to that person. Don't just sit in it by yourself. What does Peter say? Resist the devil. And James says, we need to do this together as well. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And we'll close it out in verses 10 and 11, 1 Peter 5, 10 and 11. What does God do? He restores, he confirms, he strengthens he establishes us. It says here in verse 10, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the Bible's pretty clear about this, right? And instead of maybe sugarcoating things or not talking about Satan and evil forces that are at work, that are around us, we should go to God's word and go, we see those examples of places in the text where Satan interacts and he even talks with God. And why does that happen? Well, because God's going to get the glory, right? He allows him to exist for this purpose. And then what does he tell us in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of this difficulty, as we wait on God, like, right? Like if he decides to come back tomorrow and say, hey, everybody, let's go. He raptures us. That's good news, right? But as we continue to live and we operate, Peter, who knows the struggle, who knows how persecution works, he really does, he really did, he gives us some helpful instruction. What's God going to do when we resist? Well, he's going to do some special things for us after you've, after you've suffered for a little while. So he doesn't say, hey, everything's going to be great. You're never going to have difficulty. You're never going to suffer. No, he says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And in the end note, to him be the dominion forever and ever. So Satan's real. He operates in the world. And God has given us tools to be able to combat the enemy. And the number one tool is resisting and walking alongside this family of faith, doing it together. Okay, so don't lose heart. The struggle's real. As we think about this, there, there is hell, right? There is Satan. He exists. He exists for a purpose, but it's not maybe the purpose that you might think. Uh, he thinks he exists for one purpose, and even Jesus acknowledged, hey, he came to steal and kill and destroy. But what's God going to do? He's going to strengthen. He's going to confirm. He's going to establish us. What do we need to do? We need to stand firm. We do that together. Um, don't do it alone. Um, I'll close with just a story uh, before we leave. Um, I've been <clears throat> serving with the uh, Elba Volunteer Fire Department for um, a little over a year now, uh, and um, you know, nowadays, especially in our community, fires are a little few and far between. We get a lot of medical calls, get a lot of um, like accidents, car accidents, that kind of thing. Um, so when a fire happens, it's a big deal, right? 
Uh, so there was a fire back in January, on the 15th of January. Um, it was on a Saturday. I was actually, I was, it was on a Saturday morning. Um, I was up already. The call came over my fire pager at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, I was praying, just getting ready for, for this day, for Sunday. Um, it came over, so I rushed to the station, and we get there. Um, and the city of Batavia was already there. Um, so they got guys staffed, like, in-house. So we have to go to the station and then get ready and then go. Uh, so we get there. Um, probably about a third of the house is uh, consumed in flames. Uh, and so we, we get there, we start helping out, um, helping the guys on the hose line, uh, and so, uh, which is not like a garden hose, so if you've used one of those before, um, you've got a lot of guys having to be on one hose to control it. And so over the period of a few minutes, like, we usually work out in rotations. So I get up, I, and I'm, I'm like, this is the first time I've ever put out a live fire. So uh, I, I get up to the front, and I'm, I'm the guy on the hose, like putting it, putting it where it's supposed to be, right, on the fire. Uh, and I was, I was a little bit terrified, if I'm being honest. I thought, like, how am I supposed to do this? And there was this moment, so probably about, a, uh, I would say about a third of the house is gone. So it's just gone. Um, we're still continuing to put water on it, got to try to get the fire out. And there was this explosion, probably about 10 feet away from me. So it's probably like a propane cylinder or something like that. But I, I felt like this fire and this concussive force on me, like I had never felt anything before. And in that moment, part of me wanted to run away, if I'm being honest. In that moment, I thought, I can, but who do I have behind me? Who do I have? If I let go of that hose, there's going to be guys that are in trouble, right? There were guys inside of the house trying to help put out the fire, making sure that everybody was safe. And so I was standing there going, I have a choice, right? I have a difficult choice to make. And so in that moment, I decided to stand firm. And that was a difficult choice to make. And it's not one that, like, I think we, we do easily, right? We fall. We make mistakes, right? We fall short, and we drop the line at times. But we have to remember, there's a group of people behind us. There are three or four guys behind me going, like, don't let go. Don't let go, okay? We've got you. We're here. We're behind you. There was a guy at the truck, at the pumper unit. And there was a guy at the hydrant. He was making sure water was still coming. And there were guys that were counting on us that were inside of the building too. And in that moment, I had to say, what, what do I need to do? Because there's guys who are counting on me. There are guys who I'm trusting, who are trusting me to help in this situation. And in the same way, I don't want us, to, want us to walk out of this place because I feel like one of the side effects of COVID and our psychological state has been, don't share your troubles with anybody. Like, don't share the difficulty, do this on your own, right? We were at home, you know, for so long, not being able to go to work, all that. Some people still do that. Um, but what do we do, right? We've got to stand firm. We've got to lean on each other. And we've got to go, no matter what happens, we've got to be able to count on each other. So stand firm, but let's do that together. And so as we deal with the reality that, uh, man, Satan's real, uh, hell is real, and for a time, God allows him to operate in the world. Why? To bring God glory. And we're a part of that. Did you know that? But as we stand firm, Peter goes, don't give up. I know that it's difficult. And the suffering, by the way, it's, you're going to experience suffering for a little while. But stand firm. Because what's God going to do? He's going to confirm. He's going to strengthen. He's going to establish us together. Okay? So let's keep doing that together. And uh, what I'd like to do now is just maybe, I don't know, maybe you're here and uh, you're like, this is scary. <laughs> um, that Satan exists, that hell's a real place. Well, the good news is that heaven's a real place too. And that we can have this assurance of our faith. The Bible tells us that if we would admit we're sinners, well, we need help, right? We, we just talked about this. We're doing this together. We're trusting in God. If you would believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he raised from the dead, that we might have eternal life. And see, confess with your mouth that he's the Lord of your life. And the Bible tells us we will walk with God in heaven, that we'll stand before him justified, not because of anything we've done, because of what God has done for us through Jesus, okay?
I mean, we do this together, and maybe if that's you, if you're online, if you're here in person, I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, afterwards, reach out to us uh, at the email list on the website, okay? And let me pray for you, and it'll be closed. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for this time, uh, for your goodness. Um, God, how you do care for us. You love us, and in the midst of um, difficult situations, God, we're not saying those, those don't exist because they do. Um, we experience them every day, and Peter acknowledges that as we go through the suffering, as there's this enemy, this adversary that's active, and he is trying to thwart us. He's trying to attack us. He's trying to get us down. God, I pray that like what Peter said, um, that we would stand firm in our faith, um, that God, we're, we're so thankful that as we do that, as we do that together, like what James talks about as well, um, that we might stand firm. I pray you help us uh, to link arms, um, God, that we would not be these islands um, by ourselves that feel like we're alone. We're not. Um, God, I pray that as we live and operate, as we do things in this life, you'd help us to know that, um, God, that we can conquer the enemy, um, through what you've done for us. Thank you for strengthening and establishing us, planning us firm, God, um, and that ultimately you get the glory for all of this. Um, as we do that, as we do it together, um, God, you get even more glory. Help us to operate in this way. Um, when we fall short at times, help those around us to pick us up and bring us back um, to where we need to be. Uh, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Yeah. Uh, I want to share just one more thing, and we'll let the live stream um, expire, but just uh, 